expanding my territory on a weekly basis. I don't know about anybody else. 1 Kings chapter number 3 is where we're going to go tonight. We're going to look at some important things tonight in the word of the Lord. This Sunday, be inviting people out to this musical. I am, I am told it's going to be absolutely fabulous. And um, all the effort that has gone into this. Uh, this is a great thing to invite your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, fellow students, everybody, everybody. They'll be blessed by this. It'll be good. All right. First Kings chapter number three. And we're going to read a few verses of scripture in here um, so that you come down the runway here, starting in verse number 16. Verse 16, 1 Kings chapter 3. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, Oh, my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house. And I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered that this woman was delivered also. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. She laid on top of it. She rolled on top of it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, the one saith, this is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead. And the other saith, nay, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment. Everybody said judgment. Say it one more time. You know, I'm 65 and hard of hearing. One more time. I got it that time. Thank you. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged. And they feared the king. For they saw the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Verse number 24, and the king said, bring me a sword. That's what I want to talk about tonight. Bring me a sword, developing 
godly judgment. Developing godly judgment. Something we desperately need in this hour. Let's pray, shall we? Everybody, let's pray under the sound of my voice. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. There's nobody like you. We're here to worship and magnify your name and be instructed by you. Pray that the word of the Lord and the spirit of God would be a blessing to every heart, every life, every family, every child, every adult. We ask it in Jesus' name. God bless every individual with godly, righteous judgment. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. I have been a student of not only the Word of God, and the things of God, and I still feel like I'm a novice in so many ways. One man said it best. He said, the longer I live, the more I realize I don't know. And I think that is a very healthy assessment. One of the things that I have been a student of for the last 35 years is people. Um, and I don't mean just, I've always been a people watcher. And you know people watchers. They sit in the mall. They're not going to buy anything. They're just looking at everybody. And um, I was a professional people watcher. That really didn't give me a lot of understanding. But one thing that I have done for the last 35 years is I have been a student of God's people, not, not with the motive of criticism, but I have been a student of people that possess this, what I'm going to talk about tonight, because there is nothing like it in this world. Um, I did a little study in my office in preparation for this service tonight on the definition, the modern cultural definition of common sense. Because make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that's happening right before our very eyes in the 21st century is there is an evaporation of common sense. In fact, it's gotten so bad that we are now allowing or now forcing the highest court in the land to be the conscience and the voice of common sense to an entire nation, the Supreme Court. But biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high. And also common sense is evaporating. And so I looked at several different dictionaries for their definition of common sense. According to Webster's, it is sound and prudent judgment 
based on simple perception of the situation or facts. That sounds pretty good. Sound and prudent judgment based on simple perception. And then I looked at Collins' dictionary that said, he was a little bit more complimentary to the human race. He said, your natural ability to make good judgment and to behave in a practical and sensible way. Now, I've got a question for this, this great congregation tonight. Do you know anybody that does that? Do you know anybody that has that their natural ability is to make good judgment and to behave in a practical and sensible way. I know some people that do that, but they're really old. There's a few young ones, but by and large, there seems to be a cultural shift. And then the free doc, uh, dictionary.com said that common sense is sound judgment, not based on specialized knowledge, which means you shouldn't have to be educated. You should just be able to know that a dog is a dog, and a dog is always going to be a dog. Wikipedia, if someone said praise the Lord, this wouldn't be complete without Wikipedia. It says, common sense, <coughs> let me clear my throat before I do this, <coughs> is sound practical judgment concerning everyday matters or a basic ability to perceive, understand, and judge that is common to nearly all people. Okay, who's not in the all people? Mr. Wikipedia. Okay. The last one, uh, well, actually two more. Dictionary.com said sound practical judgment Normal, native, I don't think that that was supposed to be a prejudicial statement, but normal, native intelligence, which means you're supposed to be born with this, okay? And then Cambridge Dictionary says the ability to use good judgment in making decisions to live in a safe and reasonable way. Hallelujah. I want common sense. I don't believe in the 21st century that you can possess common sense and not have some kind of understanding of the Word of God. Because our culture is attacking the very practical values that put our democracy and certain rights and privileges and pursuits, recognizing that all men are free before God. And that is under attack today. And so, in the midst of what the Bible says in the book of Hosea, that there is a dearth in the land for a want of bread, talking about the word of God, and an evaporation of common sense, I want to talk about godly judgment and how 
to get godly judgment and how for godly judgment to increase in your life. Because the reality of it is, it is the will of God that every child of God has godly judgment. It is the will of God. And God gives us some things. We're going to talk about some things to help us understand really that we have access to these things, in some cases, more readily than we may even recognize. In this passage of Scripture that I read in your hearing tonight, this is a, this is a famous passage of Scripture. Solomon is has just been crowned a reasonable amount of time. He's actually been a king for a little while, long enough to recognize that I do not have what it takes to be the kind of leader these people deserve. And I want to tell you, in my opinion, that kind of sober assessment already tells me something about Solomon. But Solomon has a prayer meeting, and he prays that God will endue him with wisdom and understanding to be able to lead so great a people. And then, of course, God visits him, and God blesses him. God answers his prayer because he did not ask for riches. He did not ask for longevity. But he asked for the right things. I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it is always right to ask for wisdom. In fact, the Bible says that if any man asks for wisdom, God will not withhold. Why don't we lift our hands and just give him praise for that? That's an awesome thing. The ability to apply knowledge is lacking in our world. And yet that is a prayer that God will never ignore. The Bible said he upbraideth. That word is an old Shakespearean word that's out of circulation that literally means withhold. God will not withhold. But will give liberally. I pray for wisdom all the time. Because I need it. After Solomon prays this prayer, he is put to the test. There are two women that are harlots. They live in the same house. They have children out of wedlock, both of them. And one of the children dies. One of these women in the night rolled over on her child and smothered it. And so, being of the character that they were, she saw her plight. She took her child, took the live baby out of the arms of the other harlot and put the dead one there. And so, she wakes up to a dead baby and they bring their case to Solomon. Solomon hears the matter, and in a shock, 
and not just to harlots and not just to those that were standing by and not just those that would reverberate his judgment throughout the rank and file of Israel. He asked for a sword. And they bring him a sword and he says, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Because this one is saying, it's her baby. This one is saying, it's her baby. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to cut this baby in half. It's actually a gross consideration. Until you explore the wisdom of it. Until you understand that it was supernaturally endued and given to Solomon to do this. Because he knew that the real mother would rather give the child up than to kill it. And the woman that really, that was not the mother, could care less and said, just go ahead and divide the baby. Let it neither be mine nor hers. And Solomon said, I can tell it ain't yours. You give that baby to her. Now, I wonder what everybody thought about this. I wonder what the Bible said that the nation of Israel was in awe of this level of wisdom and prudence and understanding and godly judgment. You know, people that possess godly judgment are operating on a wavelength that other people may not understand. They may not even agree with. No doubt there were probably some people that heard about this story that took place in the palace that were probably grossed out that a king would even suggest such a thing. There were probably people that were critical that thought, I, what kind of a despot and a madman has assumed the throne in Israel? That he would actually shed the blood of a child to satisfy two harlots. The sword here really needs little introduction. Because it represents the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. For the word of God is quick, which means alive and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. That's like a scalpel. When they get ready to make an incision as a surgeon. Out of a package that's already been completely sanitized and, and ready to be used, but it is kept away from other utensils and kept away from other people because people that do not know how to use scalpels can get hurt. 
word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder. That's what the word is for. It's for dividing. And that is exactly what Solomon proposed to do. But he wasn't, he wasn't really going to divide a child. He was going to divide the false from the true. Descriptions that are used here in Hebrews chapter 4 reveal to us that there is no other, there is no other utensil, there is no other godly mechanism that gets this deep, that does this job, that can make this division, distinction, incision, cut, a dividing. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. There is nothing known to man that can divide the soul from the spirit. Nothing. Nothing psychiatric, nothing psychological, nothing. Nothing intellectual, but the word of God can. And it doesn't stop at the soul and the spirit, which is innate, which is invisible but then goes to the joints and the marrow, which is the deepest part of a human being physically. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the heart. Everything is covered here. Spirit, body, and soul can be divided and parsed and separated by the godly judgment of the word of God. In Ephesians chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 16, the Bible tells me, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Divide lies from truth. You can divide something that's from God and something that's from the enemy. Something that'll keep you on track instead of being eaten up with paranoia and fear and doubt. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. Oh, thank God that we have the Word of God that is sharp, quick, and powerful. that the Word of God is the basis of godly judgment. One of the reasons why this church is gung-ho. You didn't think I know that word, but I, I actually grew up through the 60s and I heard that word. One of the reasons why this church is on fire about Bible quizzing is because it is putting the Word of God in young people. 
And the Word of God is the basis of godly joy. It's not what you think. It's not, oh, I'm feeling, ooh, I ate a lot of pizza last night, and ooh, I'm feeling something. Honey, it's the Word of God. Oh, come on, don't get scared on me. Don't get quiet on me. We've needed this kind of teaching. We don't need a bunch of quacks that feel a bunch of stuff. I want somebody that knows the Word of God and can walk it, can talk it, can live it. Clap your hands and give him praise. You're going to be duped and fooled and led astray if you don't know the Word of God. We've needed this kind of teaching for a long time. Because I, I put up with quacks. And ladies and gentlemen, if it sounds like a duck and walks like a duck, it's a duck. And we're not making a special bathroom for the duck. I appreciate the gifts of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit run on the rails of the Word of God. Pastor, I'm feeling something. Great. Do something. Every, every church has got their self-appointed, you know, got their special word people. And ladies and gentlemen, you shouldn't have to give somebody a special word if it's common sense. Because the very first thing that God gives you is common sense. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The reason why we believe in the Word of God here is not just because we can, so that we can preach to you. Week after week, what the Holy Ghost is doing is putting the Word of God into you so that you are developing a level of godly judgment. You don't need to call the pastor and find out what color socks you need. You just need to know, I need to wear socks, and they should match. front row over here say amen. amen. Hallelujah. And on top of that, make sure they're clean. I'm not even in the Word of God. That's just common sense. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the ways that you determine, and, it's, and it's ir this is irrefutable, this is undeniable, this is a fail-safe methodology of determining whether somebody is truly apostolic, is you go back to the book of Acts and find out if they had a book of Acts experience. And if they didn't have a book of Acts experience, God bless them, I'm not putting anybody in hell, I'm not put, but I'm not putting anybody in heaven. That's God's business. But you've got to repent of your sins, you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name, and you have got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. God is not going to have a bunch of zombies that go to church and don't know what they believe. Somebody help me out here tonight. This is what I'm talking about, biblical illiteracy. God wants his people to be sharp. God wants his people to be first class. God wants his people to be excellent, have a right spirit, be powerful in the Holy Ghost. And that happens through the word of God. Clap your hands and give God the praise.
looking at a, a person that when I came to God, I didn't have any sense. I did not have good sense. And the reason why I didn't have good sense is because, number one, was immorality. Immorality will completely destroy any natural good sense that a person has. I had a flawed value system. I didn't know what was really valuable in life. I didn't know that relationships were valuable. Therefore, I was self-abusive. I was self-destructive. And in doing so, I had no judgment. But when somebody gave me a Bible study and I repented of my sins and was baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the Holy Ghost, that was the beginning of an education that's from another world. Honey, this, this book is not outdated. This book is futuristic. This book is not for grandma to sit on the, be on the coffee table where nobody even opens it up anymore. And just leave it to get dust in the back seat of your car. That thing is that thing is on time more than the newspaper. That thing is on time more than Fox News. That thing is on time. That is from another world. And when you get godly judgment, you can see right through the nonsense of this world. seems to be a, a shortage of it because godly judgment is equal to your spiritual maturity. Hebrews chapter 5, Brother Clark, please. For when, for the time that you ought to be teachers, how long have you been in this church? Well, Pastor, I've been here a long time. Bible studies have you been given? Don't you know people are going to be lost? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to engender a guilt trip, okay? I didn't come here to do that. I'm trying to get us to understand how God views the situation. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God thinks. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God thinks. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Milk is for infants. And, and the word picture here is almost an idiom. It's almost idiomatic of a mother nursing her child. 1 Peter 2 and 2 said that when we are little infants, spiritual infants, we should desire the sincere milk of the word. But the apostle is looking at this group of people and he's saying, you guys should already be on strong meat. And strong meat is for people that are mature. Their, their digestive tract can handle it. Their understanding can handle it. Their spiritual concepts can embrace it. 
their conviction can handle it. Let's go to the next verse, Brother Clark. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Next verse. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those. Look at this phraseology very careful here. Even those who by reason of use, talking about strong meat, have their senses. Exercise to discern. This is talking about godly judgment. Let's lift our hands and just pray right now. Everybody in this building has a level of godly judgment. What we're interested in is getting more godly judgment. Move beyond immaturity. Listen carefully. You develop godly judgment by infusing the word of God into your heart and mind so that it governs behavior, thought life, and relationships. I'm going to read that again. You develop godly judgment by infusing not just on the surface, but it becomes part of you as a person. The Word of God literally takes, it's, it's, the Bible says in James chapter 1, it's to be engrafted. When they, when they, when they graft in um, a new limb on a person or uh, any kind of a of situation, even a heart, when there's a transplant into a person, it becomes integrated. It becomes part of the integrated part of that person. He is saying that the Word of God should become engrafted. And when it's integrated and engrafted in your mind and your heart, it governs behavior, thought life, and relationships. I was talking to somebody uh, a while back, and I said, this is just an observation, not an accusation, just an observation that I've noticed that what happens to a lot of people is, see, when you first, if, if you're healthy, if you're spiritually healthy, when you're first born again, you should just have all kinds of zeal. And you can come to any church service here, a Tuesday night or a Sunday, and when the praises go up, you're going to see a whole lot of zeal around here. But God takes that zeal because it's useful. It's connected to our usefulness. And through the process of life and us obeying the word of God, it, is, it becomes transformed into wisdom so that we are balanced between zeal and wisdom. We're balanced now with power and knowing what to do. But I said, I've noticed that there's a lot of people that when they, they 
misunderstand God's process in their life, they end up knowing what to do, but they don't have the power to do it. Because experience bringeth hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. And you, you can approach life, and you can approach situations, and you can implement your wisdom and implement your knowledge and say, you know, I just got to pray a little more because I'm in a rough spot right now, and I got I to gotta fast today, and I got to do this, and I got to do this. That's wisdom. That's godly knowledge. That's not weakness. That's not immature. That's approaching life by the word of God. When you get up every day, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. Develop godly judgment by infusing the Word of God. The more that the Word of God orders your steps, the greater your ability to exercise godly judgment. If you have a little bit of godly judgment, happened some of our some of our new ones our younger ones listen up because I remember God is God is not static God is dynamic and God God is operating within the limitations of your life because our lives in this dimension are governed by chronology okay but see God God is outside of time and so God is trying to process process us as quickly as we can handle it. I want to say that again. God is processing you as quickly as you'll let him. Okay, now you can put the brakes on this. One of the ways you put the brakes on it is you put a rear view mirror on your spiritual experience, and now you're looking at yesterday and all your regrets. Your life, your present is wasted on what you regret. You need to throw that and say, you know what? It's under the blood. I can't change it. But from this point forward, I'm going to exercise from what I learned. Uh, what we learned makes us healthy. It makes us intelligent. If you're not willing to fail, you're unwilling to learn. If you're unwilling to admit that you failed, maybe. Let's clap our hands and give him the praise. We've got to have godly judgment. You can't ring my phone off the wall asking me every little question. You've got the Holy Ghost. You've got the Word of God. Unless you just don't want to get it. And there are some people that are ever learning. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But I'll tell you what, when you, when you first get the Holy Ghost and you fall in love with and you've got this incredible power that's in your that's in your being. Everything that you come in contact with, you you don't have, you don't have hardly any answers. This is this is this is the aspect of apostolic pedagogy. Okay, apostolic pedagogy. 
Lesson number one. Apostolics learn the Word of God initially, topically. They study out all the scriptures on baptism. They study all the scriptures on one God. They study all the scriptures on repentance. They study all the scriptures on the blood. I'm not putting that down. That's the first dimension in how we learn. That's why when you talk to one of us, I, I still remember all the scriptures I learned. I'm like a machine gun on baptism. And people are just looking at me like, is this dude for real? Yeah, I'm for real. But I learned all those scriptures topically. The problem is people never go and they don't view the word of God's second dimension is panoramically, which is where we understand the covenants, the dispensations, the overall program, and the plan of God. And so you have all this, you have all this intellectual study. But it's what the Word of God is doing to you subjectively that is going to change your world. And that is the accumulation of godly judgment. And so what happens is, is you get the Holy Ghost, you get the Word of God. Everything that you meet in life, it comes down to one thing. Go to Exodus, Scripture in Exodus, Brother Clark. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Every Thing that you come in contact with, you got to stick with me here, okay? It's going to come down to who's on the Lord's side. We're talking about the development of godly judgment. We're not talking about becoming a professional Pentecostal. We are not talking about a generational pew warmer. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people having... An understanding of who they are, an understanding, not just because I say what you are. I had to come to this just like you have to come to this. But once an individual enters into this and they have that sense of godly judgment, there is no stopping that person. They are comfortable in their skin. They are not intimidated. They are not going to be afraid. You're not going to intimidate that person. You're not going to run them off. You're not going to chase them off because they understand something is in me that's from another world. I can never do this. I can never even think these thoughts. I can never even draw these kind of lines. I can never even walk this way. But the power of God is within me. Clap your hands and give God the praise. This, this has got to be such a private, subjective pursuit because we are so enculturated. We're so, we're so, we are social creatures, social media, all this stuff. It's through the roof. It's made, it's made it where people don't even know who they are anymore. They, they, get, they get the reverberation of who they are off of what other people think about them. And so they don't even live their own life. They don't even know who they are. They're just, they're just what everybody else thinks them to be. And God wants to set you free from that. God wants you to be who he sees you to be. God will empower you. Somebody clap your hands. I have experience when I'm preaching to you tonight. And God has that for you and you and you and you and you and everybody in this world. Clap your hands and give God the praise. You're not a number. You're not a digit. You're not a code. You're not a barcode. You have unique individuality. And what makes you a threat to the devil is not the fact you speak in tongues. It's the fact that you possess godly judgment and you wield a sword that can separate light from dark, heaven from hell, God from the devil. 
Let's clap our hands one more time. We are in serious want of this. That's not a put down. But I, I, I wrestle with these things. I wrestle with these things. Because as a spiritual practitioner, it's my, my job, if I could put it that way, to facilitate an environment where we can get a hold of these things and we can truly become, I can escape the opinions of others. I can escape what the devil's telling me because of my past. I can escape what my parents said about me. I can escape all these limitations. I can escape. There is nothing in this world that will jettison a human being into true, 100% pure potentiality like the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of God. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You can be what God created you to be. You can be what God sees you to be. But you got to get a hold of yourself. Go back to that scripture, Brother Clark, real quick. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let me tell you what happened. Moses comes down from the mount with the word of God. And somebody had the bright idea of worshiping the gods of Egypt. We haven't got our answer. We're, they were fickle. They were, they were, they were fleshly. They, were, they wanted to go back to Egypt even before they made it to the Red Sea. And now somebody came up with the idea of, man, let's just make a, a gold calf. Just throw gold in the fire and look what comes out. Woo! Nice try, Aaron. And so people have stripped of all their clothing, which is always a shame. Nakedness is a shame before God. And Moses comes into the camp and he becomes infuriated. And so when the dust settles and people are there in their idolatrous, writhing nakedness, an orgy of human flesh, Moses said, all right, who's on the Lord's side? issue here. We're going to take care of it right here, right now. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Next verse. And Moses said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Not the man. God was going to do some exterminating. Family members. Brothers. Moms and dads, sisters, cousins, they were all related. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, put every man his sword on his side and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. Next verse. This is getting heavy. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. That was so grievous 
in the history of God's people. That that was also told again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when the apostles said that these things were written for our examples. They have a history. The sword represents godly judgment. Anything in your life that is not on the Lord's side, God is going to expect you to take the word and hack it in pieces. I don't need anybody to tell me fornication was wrong. John said we have an unction from the Holy One. What destroys godly judgment is when people sin and they know they're sinning. And so godly judgment says, stop. And now, unless godly judgment is employed, it keeps backing away and backing away. And you have people sitting in a church that still haven't got it. Still haven't got it all together. Still haven't gotten the basics of modesty. Still haven't gotten the basics of morality. Still haven't gotten the basics. What are they doing? They're not employing the Word of God. It's not engrafted. That Word is not just to bounce around your head and fall out when you get in your car tonight. That Word of God is to be lodged in your heart to get you ready for the rapture. Clap your hands and give God the praise. just don't know what God wants me to do. You have the Holy Ghost. You have the Word of God. I'm here. I'm here to serve you. But there are a lot of people that are asking me to do what God will do with them. And I can't do that. Pastor, you know, I'm Don't even think about it. Well, you know, he treats me good, and I think I can win him. <clears throat> you know, I'm not going to toot my own little horn here right now, but, you know, being a pastor in the 21st century is getting rough because I make a decision on what I know, and you don't know what I know. And I can't make a decision on what you know because that would mean that I'm not operating on the godly judgment that God invested in me as a God-called pastor. So I, gotta, I have to operate on what I know. And there's always critics around and said, well, I don't know why the pastor did this. And I don't know why the pastor did that. You have to trust Solomon and realize we didn't get here by being flaky. And we didn't. And if I got to pull my sword out, it's because something's got to be cut. And something's got to be divided. And something's got to be removed. I may not like it, but God requires it. Clap your hands and give God the praise. If you don't trust the ministry, you need to find somebody you do trust. Because a God-called pastor will never get rid of all the junk in a church. If he's always, I wonder what the people think. I wonder how public opinion is. I wonder what my poll numbers are right now. Donald, I don't know. Tell me, man, my, my numbers are low. 
couple times I felt like Donald Trump during the impeachment trial. Pardon me for getting a little political. But Brother John Carter, there are just some people in the 21st century think, who does this pastor think he is? You hear me right now. We are not going to let fornication just parade into this church and remove marriages and remove young people. Bless your little heart. I'm here to take it out and hack it in pieces. Whoever stays, whoever goes, at least the spirit's gone for the next family and for the next revival. Clap your hands and give God the praise. We're not going to let rebellion walks in here. We're not going to let some wolf in sheep's clothing come in here and do whatever they want to do with the flock and and influence people and take people out. We're not going to let some young Casanova person come in here that doesn't really have an experience with God and starts removing young ladies off of a pew. You better thank God for a watchman on the wall that is not afraid to exercise godly judgment and say this is getting cut out right here and right now. There's so many times I've had to do something that I did not enjoy. I don't enjoy, I don't look forward to it. And I got to look into the faces of people that are telling me, who do you think you are? I ain't listening to you. I'm putting up with you so you can be saved. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. If you've got godly judgment, God's going to expect you to strap that sword on and, and whether it's a family, if it's a family member and they're sinning, cut it off. If it's somebody in your household that will call others to be saved, God's going to require you to pull a sword. Not join with them, not lie with them, not try to protect them. Bring me a sword. Sift our hands. Men in the 21st century, read that Bible and look at all the enemies trying to move into the church. Men that have crept in unawares that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Come on, let's pray right now. I'm going to pray with you. I need to pray. Feels good around here on Sunday. I don't know how many visitors people had the Holy Ghost. How does that stuff happen? Somebody's keeping it clean. How are we looking at our fifth and sixth building in 25 years? Somebody's been keeping it clean. Not afraid to make some hard decisions. Difficult choices. I want to talk to us for a few moments about factors that will increase or impede the development of godly judgment in our lives. I've already said that if you'll fall in love with the Word of God and you'll fall in love with the Holy Ghost, you will develop a keen sense of godly judgment that cannot be put out. 
not talking about being mean. I'm not ta- I've met mean people. Some of you think I'm mean. I'm like, I'm like the FTD florist compared to some guys I know. They just come in and shoot everything. That is not the will of God. to live in sin. I don't care if it's immoral or not paying your tithe. When you know what the Bible says, your godly judgment has completely stopped. Now, I must, sometimes I feel like, man, I'm weird because when I got saved, I wanted more God. I, w- I didn't just want to get a job and then, okay, I'm done praying. Or I'm going to get my car and then I'm going to. No. The reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because God, I, I believe God finally found somebody. You're not going to stop this one. You ain't going to stop him with a nice building over on Broadway. You ain't going to stop him with a $5 million building right here. There's a whole bunch of people out there looking for this. There's a whole bunch of people that will be sitting on this pew, sitting on that pew. There's a whole lot of people that God wants to save. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. following godly judgment because of personal advantage. Well, I know what the Bible says, Pastor, and I know what you preach, but we just want to do it this way. I'll just say this, and I'm not, I'm not upset at people like that, but you really shouldn't find somebody that believes that way. The problem is, if they ever differ with you, you're going to be left in the same condition you're in right now. You know, if you just ingenuously sit in a church and worship God and love the Spirit and then go home and say, I'm going to do whatever we want to do, that's disingenuous. Why don't you just find a church that lets you do whatever you want to do at home? You want to know why? Because there ain't no power there and you know it. Did it ever dawn on you that the power that's in here is trying to bring you up to another level? There's another victory. There's another glory. There's another plateau. Brother Abby said it best. I didn't say this. He said Cornerstone is a church for people that want more. Thank you. That was very nice of you. I believe that. Not following godly judgment because of personal advantage. Pastor, I know what you're saying, but I just want a better sermon. We can just work it. We can get this all worked out later. Hogwash! I just want to take this job. No, there's no church there. It's way out. I'm going to make all kinds of money. I got a call here about, I don't know. I'm getting so bad on time. Not, not that I've got dementia or Alzheimer's. At least I don't think. But, I, man, it's just hard for me to pinpoint time anymore. It was a long time ago. I was pastoring. Somebody called me up. They said, is this Brother Mayo? Yes. This is Bill Brown from Sacramento. Bill Brown. I gave him a Bible study at the Burger King in Rancho Cordoba way back when Noah and me came off the ark. 
It was way long time ago. And remember his wife, Diane? Okay. He called me up. He said, Brother Mayo, he said, I'm building cabinets. He was first-class cabinet maker, okay? And he said, I got an opportunity to make 50 bucks an hour. And it's in Omaha, Nebraska. And I said, and he was, he was going to the Rock Church in Sacramento. He's calling me up. I hadn't been here very long. And I said, that's a no-brainer, stay in Sacramento. He said, I really need the money. My family needs the money. Um, I'm praying about it. Thanks for your time. He called me up several years later. He says, is this Brother Mayo? I said, it is. He said, can I be real honest with you? I said, yeah. He said, I hate the church here. I said, to me, the choice is clear. He went back to Sacramento. If he had exercised godly judgment, money can't buy a good church. Money can't buy your place in the kingdom. Money can't buy a quiz team for your kids. Money can't buy a youth pastor that loves your kids. Come on, somebody help me out. Money can't buy... Money can't replace the joy of the Lord. Money can't replace victory in your child life. Money can't replace that. But if there had been a little bit of godly judgment, I believe he could have arrived at that answer on his own. Now, there's nothing wrong with reaching up to people that you feel possess godly judgment. That's why it's here. It's here as a as a service to the body. But if you're just going to go ahead and do what you want to do anyway, don't be pointing fingers. I, 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 and this is, I'm, I'm just going to take a little tippy toe where angels fear to walk. Is that okay? Yeah. I'll go right here and then right back. Okay? I'm just going to go right here and right back. Don't be pointing fingers at other people if you ain't blessed. There's a reason why you're not blessed. And instead of you getting caught up with the morass of bitterness and resentment over your condition and lot in life, why don't you just put it in God's hands and say, I am an individual before God, and I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be clean. My heart's going to be clean. My hands are going to be clean. I want to be blessed. I want my kids to see blessing. I want my kids to see victory. Clap your hands and give him praise. You want a testimony for your grandkids? Be blessed of God. Have the victory. Do a work for God. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Reason number three, people move around to find the perfect church. Only to find out problem ain't the church, the problem's me. I'm glad you're here. I'm not trying to run nobody off, but I'm just trying, I've been, I've been doing this long enough to know that it's just better to be honest and transparent. You know what? If you didn't leave right, you sure ain't going to arrive right. You might have a ribbon on you, a big 14-carat smile. And everything looked great. But let me give you some good advice. 
you go home tonight and get on the telephone or you do whatever you got to do to make things right with where you came from so that the blessings of God can just keep on flowing and the power of God can just keep on flowing and the word of God can just keep on. Somebody help me out tonight. And the spirit of God can just keep on flowing. That's a problem in Pentecost. Everybody's gravitating to the lowest common denominator, not knowing that there's a hidden cause in being carnal. You quit growing. Everybody. Pentecost is in a turbulent time right now. People left to their own natural impulses gravitate. They gravitate to the lowest common denominator because they have been, they have been tricked into thinking that if I feel God, I must be right with God. That is a human interpretation of feeling God. Did it ever dawn on you that, that God is not telling you you're right with him? That's God's way of saying, come on, there's more where that came from. Come on, there's more. There's more. Get your TV out. There's more. Get your movies out. There's more. Get rid of your social media. There's more. Get rid of your Facebook. There's more. Get rid of your pity party. There's more. Get rid of your pornography. There's more. Don't see carnal people exercising godly judgment. Reason number five. You have to look at the end result of things before you even take the first step. Well, pastor, I don't really think this is wrong. And I don't see anything wrong with it. My wife and I have been talking and we don't see anything wrong with it. Look at other people that have gone that direction. See, the first dimension of wisdom is you just saying, I'm not going to do this because it's not lining up with the Word of God. The second dimension of wisdom is you looking at the effects of that on other people's lives and say, I don't want to do that. But the third dimension of wisdom is saying, I learned from my mistake. I've already been there. I've already done that. ain't going back. ain't going to repeat it. I'm a quick learner. I'm a quick starter. Godly judgment. Godly judgment. Well, Pastor, I just don't I just don't see anything wrong with, you know, marijuana is legal now. You go ahead and take that puff, and every spirit that God delivered you from be knocking on your door. Because it's hallucinogenic. It opens up the soul. To the spirit world. How, how foolish for governments to legalize a hallucinogenic for money. Another aspect of godly judgment is, Pastor, we're, we're talking about this. We're thinking about, you know, doing this. What kind of effect is that going to have on your kids? Well, you know, they're small. They don't know nothing. You can open up that home to spirits. Oh, Brother Sergeant, help me out. See, godly judgment around the table says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh We don't talk about the church that way. Pass me the knife. I need some rose preacher. My kids, Ari's here tonight. 
somewhere. Where is she? Oh. She's with the baby. I love that little baby. She can tell you. I never heard my mom and dad gossip. I, I, I heard her tell somebody else this. I never heard my mom and dad gossip about the church. I never heard my mom and dad put people down in my house. I never heard my mom and dad fight in our house. I never, well, this is just how I think I would get judged up. No godly judgment. Just sheer human will. Bless God, this is how I feel, and I don't care who knows about it. No self-control, no temperance, no wisdom, no knowledge, no influence of the Spirit. She's now a pastor's wife. She's now a gorgeous, intelligent, father-loving daughter. I'm sorry, I'm smitten with that little baby. I can't help it. You know, it's after 9 o'clock. I'm going to stop. Should I stop, Lord? I got a couple more points. Nobody's saying nothing over here. Maybe I had to dismiss everybody else. I'm going to stop. You know, I love this church. You know what I envision this church to be? Brother, where do you think you're going? Sit back down. I didn't tell you to move. <laughs> Brother Rodriguez, I'm just getting started. I'm just having fun. You can get up. Go, go to the piano. Give them some hope. Just turn it on as long as you turn it off. That's a little, kind of a little joke, isn't it? Yeah. Listen, 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 listen. Listen, 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 listen. I envision this church, members in particular, some of you are going to, some of you will leave this congregation and change your world. And you will possess godly judgment. Nobody has that kind of a trajectory without possessing godly judgment. But see, it, it has to first affect me before it can affect anybody else. Everything in God is self-regulating. If I want mercy, i got to give it. If I want more power from God, I have to use what I've got. And it displaces it. And then God just starts giving it. If that godly judgment can start working in you in, in the deepest parts, the soul, the spirit, the body, the soul, you're going to go up, 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 up. You're going to find your place in God. You're going to be anointed. You're going to be powerful. You're going to be used. And we back home will be thrilled. We'll celebrate God using you. But this little thing about godly judgment was critical to becoming. Becoming. Bring me a sword. Let's stand. You know, it's already after nine, but I'm going to open up this altar. If you want to come and pray and feel like God's talked to you tonight, you're welcome to come and pray. God loves you. I love you. This church is in your corner all the way to the end.
Come on, this altar's open. I need godly judgment. Maybe you're standing here tonight and you're doing stupid things. You don't know how to quit. Get your nose in the book. When the book says we're, I'm not gonna, you're not to do this, then don't do it. When the Bible says don't do this, you don't do that. That's the very first dimension of godly judgment is I'm taking God's side. Who's on God's side tonight? Anybody on God's side tonight? Come on, this altar's open. God bless you all in Jesus' name.